In May 2020, a month after my pregnant daughter and son-in-law refugeed to our house during the pandemic, Deborah Burns, my editor at Story Publishing, asked me to write a fourth book for them. The title would be 100 Plants to Feed the Birds, because this book would be part of a series that included 100 Plants to Feed the Bees and 100 Plants to Feed the Monarchs. I said if I wrote it, I'd have to include a lot of plants that do not feed birds directly. A great many of our most beloved songbirds eat little or no plant material, feeding primarily or even exclusively on insects. Spring warbler migration is fueled on newly emerging caterpillars as trees, shrubs, and smaller plants leaf out, and a great many of these insects depend on locally native vegetation. But did it even make sense for me to write such a book? I've been monomaniacally focused on birds since 1975 and do little gardening. Russ and I have protected the native trees, shrubs, and smaller plants in our yard that support birds, but that's small potatoes compared to some gardeners on my own block. How could I possibly be qualified to write this book? In some ways, my misgivings pinpointed some of my strengths. Bird study may have absorbed me since college, but I took enough botany, forest management, wildlife ecology, entomology, aquatic entomology, and even horticulture courses to give me a broad background and a sense of what should be included in this kind of book. My birding experiences have spanned all 50 states and at least a few pockets of Canada, and I've tried to keep up on important issues affecting birds, including habitat. I'm far from an expert on any of it, but when it comes right down to it, who is? There's no way anyone can list exactly 100 of the best of anything without leaving out some things that other experts would include. For every plant someone else would include that I wouldn't in this book, they'd leave out a plant that I thought was important. My internal debate reminded me of a previous book I'd done for a different publisher. When Scott and Nix asked me to write the American Birding Association Field Guide to Birds of Minnesota, I refused, giving them half a dozen names of people I considered way more qualified than I was to write a field guide. They kept coming back to me, and I kept giving them more names. I know I'm far from the state's top birder in terms of species seen and quickness at identifying some groups, and I'm less focused on identification than on behavior, natural history, and conservation. What kind of birder is a person who wouldn't trade a season of watching one pair of black-capped chickadees nesting in her backyard for adding 50 rare birds to her state list? But they had some good reasons to keep coming back to me. My previous books proved that I knew how to research, could be both concise and accurate, and worked well with editors. They could see from my having written the National Geographic Pocket Guide to Birds of North America that I could fit my words into a prescribed layout. I might not be among the very top birders in the state, but I am good. 
and somehow my not taking myself too seriously as an authority on bird identification worked in my favor for a book directed to beginners. The publishers knew I'd make birding friendly and inviting, and that I'd share the easy-to-make mistakes I myself had made as a beginner. When they agreed to expand the number of species covered to 300, I relented. I still had misgivings, but I'm very happy with how it all turned out. This proposed book about plants and birds would take me even farther out of my comfort zone than the field guide did. But Deb Birds' faith in me was grounded in our having worked together on three previous books for story, and the timing was perfect. The pandemic had eliminated all my travel. I could focus pretty much entirely on this project for three months before Katie's baby would be born, and I'd have a few more months while Katie and Michael were taking turns with parental leave before my grandma duties kicked into a higher gear. Even then, I could work evenings and during naps. I spent a year and a half researching and writing, and then four or five months working with the team, editing, selecting photos, and laying out the book, finalizing everything before it was sent off to the printers this past April. The book was officially out on December 20th, meaning its gestation was a little less than nine months. My grandson arrived a little late, so the books and his deliveries averaged out perfectly. I've been so consumed with being a grandma that I haven't been paying proper attention to much else. So seeing my first copy was like seeing the book through fresh eyes, and I'm very happy with it. Plus, it's the only book in the known universe with a photo of Walter inscribed, This book is dedicated to my grandson Walter. May his generation inherit all the natural beauty and biodiversity that my generation did. I'm never comfortable promoting my own work, so this will probably be the last time I talk specifically about the book. But in the coming weeks, I will be doing several programs about the plants birds depend on, material taken directly from 100 Plants to Feed the Birds. January is when many gardening catalogs arrive, and I hope some of the information will inspire listeners to start growing a few plants to support you. Your favorite birds. I'm Laura Erickson, speaking for the birds.